Good morning. Nice to see you all here this morning. Want to welcome everybody who is in Dwell or the gathering space, or if you are watching online as part of the Christ Memorial family, welcome. Nice to have you here. Um, this is our third sermon in our series on prayer, as we've said, and this morning we're going to talk about asking. Now, I want to start with this. Are you familiar with this painting? Um, it's Norman Rockwell. Now, that's not it. There it is. Okay. Uh, it was on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post way back in 1951. Uh, the scene is a restaurant. It, it kind of reminds me of the windmill, maybe, or, or the old Russes. Uh, and for the briefest of moments, everyone in the place kind of stops and, and gawks at this young boy and his grandmother. And really, it's, it's as if they're wondering, what are you doing? Why are you doing that here? What are you asking for? I think the why is simple. For those of us who pray, we pray because someone taught us to pray. Our moms, our dads, our, our, our pastor, someone taught us to pray. And what we're asking for is for some kind of a change, right? We want something to change. We've been told along the way that prayer changes things, and, and so we want God to change something. Now, now, maybe what we want is for God to change somebody else, right? Our boss, our wife, our kids, somebody, huh? Or, or, or maybe really what we're looking for is for God to change our situation. You know, maybe we want help with our, our job or our marriage or, or relationships of some kind with other people. And every once in a while, when we pray, we ask God to change us. Now, now, the first two are kind of a shot in the dark. Sometimes God answers those prayers, and sometimes he doesn't answer them quite the way we want. But I'll tell you this, when you say, Lord, change me, help me be a better person, a, a different person, a more godly person. Oh, God loves those kind of prayers. He, he's quick to answer that. And so, tell me, what, what is it that you've been asking God for lately? Just, just think about that a minute. If you ask me, I think most of our asking revolves around the word give. We, we're either asking God to give us something or, or to forgive us for something. We say something like, give us wisdom, Lord, or, or give us wealth, or, or give us happiness, or, or health. Or give us peace of mind, or peace in our families, or, or peace in the world. And if we're not asking for it for ourselves, we're, we're asking for it for the people we love, right? For a couple weeks now, David has been talking about prayer. And he's been saying that prayer is the language of the soul. I believe that. But for some of us, Prayer can sometimes feel like more of a 
foreign language, can't it? I mean, there are times we, we don't know what to say or even how to say it. And so the question of the day really is, is how can we learn to pray better prayers? And you know what? We're not the first generation to ask that. The disciples were the first ones to ask Jesus that. And, and you know what? I'm sure the disciples prayed. As children, they learned prayers like the Shema and the Shabbat Kadosh and the Shemone Ezra. But simply repeating the prayers they learned as children somehow felt a little contrived, a little forced, a little bit like they were praying on autopilot. Maybe you can relate to that. But when they watched Jesus pray, it was different. Somehow his prayers were, were effortless. They were authentic. And they were so honest. And so one day after Jesus prayed, they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray like you. That's when Jesus gave him this, this new template for prayer. Uh, we call it the Lord's Prayer. But really, it's not as much of, of a prayer as it is a model for how we ought to pray. Now, we don't have time to go into all of that today in detail, but, but part of it goes like this. Tenlanu hayam. Tenlanu hayam. Give us this day lakayam chukainu the bread for today. And then it says, Selika Hanu. Selika Hanu. Et Ash Matanu. And forgive us as we forgive. Give and forgive. Jesus said, each day when you pray, ask God, to give you what you need for that particular day. And so we might say, give to us the bread we need for today, Lord, or, or, or give to us the patience we need for today, Lord, or, or give to us the wisdom, the healing, the answers, and the forgiveness that we need today, Lord. You see, according to Jesus, one of the ways for us to pray better prayers is to be more specific. To talk about what it is that we need most. To, to be candidly honest with God. To open our hearts. To, to expose what's really going on inside. Not to pray somebody else's prayers, but, but to pray our prayers. And for most of us, when we do that, it's probably not. Give us this day our daily bread, right? Our needs are, are different than that. In fact, our needs, I think, are, are bigger than that. But in John's gospel, Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. And, and maybe what he's saying to us is that we need to pray every day for a daily dose of him. In Luke's gospel, right after Jesus teaches the disciples the Lord's Prayer, he tells this little parable about a friend who comes knocking at midnight on his neighbor's door asking for bread. 
At first, the neighbor says, oh, go away. It's late. I'm not going to get up. Just, just leave me alone. I'm tired. But he keeps knocking. He keeps insisting that he open the door. And finally, he gets up and gives him bread. And, and according to Jesus, the point of this parable is persistence. Persistence. And so another way we can pray better prayers is to pray more often. Keep asking, Jesus says. Keep seeking, Jesus says. Keep knocking, Jesus says. And then right after, he says that there's a little illustration I want to share with you. It, it goes like this. Which of you, if your sons or daughters ask for a fish, would give them a snake? Now, nobody in the crowd thought they'd give them a snake. But just to reinforce it, he says, or, or if they ask for an egg, would you give them a scorpion? And everybody is saying, of course not, right? So then Jesus says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give you what choir? What congregation? What? Does everybody know? Does anybody know? Yeah, in Matthew's gospel, it says he'll give you good gifts. But in Luke's gospel, it says that God will give you the Holy Spirit. It says these words, how much more will your Father in heaven then give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So do you think Jesus is saying maybe one of the ways we could pray better prayers is to be asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You know what? I do. I, I really do. I, I mean, I think this is something that, that we don't talk about enough. I think the Holy Spirit is kind of out there. You know, there's the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But really, in the Reformed Church, there's just really the Binity. We talk about Jesus, and we talk about the Father, but we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. The thing is, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe we're missing something. I think we need to ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit. You know what? Whenever I sit down to write a sermon, I say, Lord, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Let my thoughts be your thoughts. Let the words I write be the words you want me to say. And every Sunday when I sit there and I'm going to preach, right before I preach, while you're all singing, I stop singing and I say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Let it happen, Lord. Let, let, me, let me go blind to the words I've written that you don't want me to say, and let me go off the page once in a while in a direction that only you can take me. Huh? Whenever I'm, I'm in one of those situations where I face a serious sense of uncertainty or, or doubt or fear, I say it again. Fill me with the Holy Spirit, Lord. 
And I know that makes some of you nervous. Some of you think I'm a little too Pentecostal, but, but what if we took Jesus at his word on this? What if we prayed, Lord, release me from my, my worries and my pain and my anger and my fear and my doubt and, and fill me with your courage, with your comfort, with your peace and your wisdom. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. A while ago, a friend of mine told me that he had stopped asking for things. In fact, he said he had stopped praying altogether. He was given up on prayer. I think he wanted to shock me. You know, people sometimes say things to ministers they wouldn't say to anybody else. But I also knew that fear and doubt and anger had been ganging up on him lately. And the weight of it was just kind of crushing his faith. And so I said, no, you're not. No, you're not. At least not for very long. You may think you're going to give up on prayer, but, but you're not. And, and even if you give up on God, God will not give up on you. And I said it because it's what I would have wanted somebody to say to me in that moment if I was feeling what he was feeling. The truth is we, we can't stop praying any more than we can stop breathing. Asking is in our DNA. God has wired us to need him. And so it's only natural for us to ask. Again and again in scripture, we're told to ask. And so we all pray. And at times when things get really sideways, we also all feel like giving up on prayer. But even if we stop praying for a while, at some point we usually start again. Because if we're not asking God for help, there's nobody else to ask, right? And, and you know what? That's where King David was when, when we catch up with him in today's text in, in Psalm 51. Prior to this reading, he wasn't really doing a lot of praying, to be honest. Uh, and even when he did pray, his prayers went in unanswered because God can't give us the things that we truly need apart from himself. And right about that time, there was this gap, this distance between King David and the king of the universe. You see, David had done some things that he knew he shouldn't have done, but, but he was hoping that God didn't notice. But, but here's the problem. Can I tell you the truth? God always notices. God notices. We're not pulling the wool over God's eyes. He notices he knows what's going on in, in your life and in my life. For example, at the beginning of today's scripture lesson, you know this story. There is a note to the director of music. You've read it, right? No, no, you didn't read it? Ah, oh, well, let me tell you what it says. It says, this is a psalm of David. 
that was written when the prophet Nathan came to him after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. In other words, what he's saying to the director of music is, when you tell this story, play a little music that kind of fits the mood. Something that, that fits the mood. Something that goes, don't, 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 don't. That way, everybody will know this is a turning point in the story. This is a time to pay attention. You could fall asleep or plan your grocery list or think about tomorrow during the sermon, but right here, you better stop. You better pay attention. Something's going to happen. His deep, dark secret really isn't a secret anymore. It's all going to come spill it out. That's Psalm 51. This is the word of God. Have mercy on me, O Lord, David says, according to your unfailing love. Notice, not according to me, not because I deserve it, not because I'm the king of Israel, not because I'm faithful to you. Have mercy on me, O Lord, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquities, and cleanse me from all of my sins. Notice David is simply asking for mercy here. He knows the jig is up. He realizes that, that if there's forgiveness to be had, it's only going to be had from God. He can't do anything to fix his life at this point. Maybe you can relate to where he's at. In fact, in the past, when he's tried to fix life on his own, he's really messed it up. He's made one bad decision after another. First, he has an affair with Bathsheba. Then he gets her pregnant, and he tries to cover it up by killing her husband. And after that, the guilt is just eating him up inside. For I know my transgressions, David says. My sin is always before me. I can't hide from it. I know what I've done. Every time I close my eyes, it comes back to me. All he can think about is how badly he's messed up his life. And so his emotions just sort of spill out here. Tears start to flow. And finally, David does what he should have done a long time ago. He turns control over to God. He turns control of his life over to God. And I think the lesson is that, that one of the ways for us to pray better prayers is to let go, to stop trying to be in control, to turn our lives over to God. How many of us shouldn't echo the words that David said have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquities. Cleanse me from all of my sins. And here's the thing that shocks me the absolute most about all of this is that when David asks God for forgiveness, he gets it. He gets it. And he gets it because that's who God is. 
That's what the Bible is trying to tell us. It's not trying to tell us David's story. It's trying to tell us God's story. His mercy is unending. His love is unfailing. His compassion is unequaled. His forgiveness is unconditional. And his desire to be in relationship with us is unrelenting. And so as Paul so eloquently says it in Romans, when we do not know how we ought to pray, the Spirit intercedes for us in ways too deep for words. By the way, that's literally what it says. Too deep for words. So let me ask you something. Can you remember a time in your life when you just really didn't know how to pray? I can. It was late at night, well, well past midnight and we do some of our best worrying late at night, don't we? I was well into that. I was sitting alone in the dark. At least it felt like I was alone. Uh, there may have been other people in the room, but I didn't want to hear their stories any more than I wanted to share mine. And so I just pretended that none of them were there. The room was, was quiet. The kind of clamoring quiet that only happens in hospital waiting rooms. You see, earlier that night, I had gotten a phone call telling me that Carol had been in an accident. Two drunk boys were out at the state park here in Holland, and they were driving home down 84th Street, and they drifted across the center line, and they hit the car that she was riding in head on. Wasn't a fair fight. Carol was in this little car. They were in this big pickup truck. And they were about to turn into Carol's friend's driveway. Carol was already late. She wanted to get home, but, but she was in a hurry. So she undid her seatbelt, turned like this, and they hit. I woke up my kids, I, I threw them in the car in their pajamas, and, and we drove out to the scene. Uh, on the way there, I, I tried to explain to them that there had been this accident and that we wouldn't have any idea what was waiting for us, uh, but we better be ready for, for who knows what. And Katie said to me, Dad, don't, don't you think we ought to be praying? And I said, yeah, yeah, we should. And then Tara said to me, Dad, we can pray, but don't you close your eyes, you're driving. It's funny what you remember at a time like that. When I turned on to 84th Street, there, there was this cruiser parked sideways across both lanes, and, and I pulled up, and, and this woman got out of the car, the, the only female sheriff in, in the Kent County Sheriff's Department, and she said to me, hey, mister, you got to turn around. This road is closed. I said, my wife is in that car over there. And she said, well, I'll... I'll Sit here with your girls. You go be with your wife. Carol had a broken arm, a fractured cheekbone, a broken leg, and, and broken ribs that were pressing in against her heart. When the ambulance came, I dropped the kids off at my in-laws, and, and on the way there, they said to me, Daddy, Daddy, that nice policewoman, she prayed with us in the car. 
Honestly, at the time, it hardly registered. When I got to the hospital, the doctor said that they were going to have to put a catheter up, up the vein and into Carol's leg to check out her heart. Now, she was bruised and, and bandaged and, and bloody, but somehow she remained calm and conscious during all of this. I was a wreck, but Carol was, was great. I signed the consent form. They wheeled her out. And then I sat there alone in the dark. I was angry and I was scared and I was mad at God for letting this happen. And to be honest with you, prayer came really hard. There was this distance between God and I. I was worried. But then Bill walked in. I don't know how Bill found out, but Bill walked in. And he leaned over and he put his hand on my shoulder. And all the emotions that were bottled up inside of me just came spilling out. It's Carol, Billy, I said. It's Carol. And then I started crying. And after that, I couldn't say anything. I know, he said. I know. That's why I'm here. I, I came to pray with you. And then for a while, he stood in the gap between God and I. And you know what? I think, I think that's what prayer is. It's the Holy Spirit putting his hand on our shoulders and saying, I know, I know, that's why I'm here. I've come to stand in the gap between you and God. And if you can't find the right words to say, don't worry, I'll pray. <laughs> 